What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. I'm going to do something a little bit different today. Okay, let's be real. Everything is different lately for so many of us. One tiny example, you may have noticed, I'm recording from home versus in the studio under a heavy blanket at the moment. The things we're talking about online have shifted during lockdown too. As soon as the quarantines started, comments and memes involving food and weight sprouted up. This is me before quarantine. This is me after a popular one says with this graphic showing a typical Barbie doll as the before and a plump Barbie as the after. I'm guessing at least a few of you are wondering, like, what's the big deal? You're just poking fun at yourself, right? For many people, though, I would argue all of us on some level, it's more complicated than that. Even with the best of intentions, these messages cause harm, especially to large-bodied people folks with eating disorders, and kids who we know readily absorb these kinds of messages, raising their risk for a whole host of problems from childhood on, poor body image, chronic dieting, low self-esteem, high blood pressure, and so much more. If you've followed my work for a while, you know I went through an eating disorder. I consider myself fully past it and haven't felt personally hurt by those comments, But I have felt frustrated with the remarks and protective of people who are especially vulnerable to them. So as an act of solidarity with anyone struggling with disordered eating or related challenges, I see you, I believe in you, you are so rad. I'm going to read a story from my Girl Boner book about a time I had sex while anorexic. A cheery little number, as you can imagine. Then you'll hear from a registered dietitian who specializes in eating disorders, and Dr. Megan will share a fun way to feel more pleasure in your body. We'll finish with a powerful excerpt from an essay about fat shaming read by the author herself. So my story is called The Day My Girl Boner Died. It comes from Chapter 9 of Girl Boner, Stress, Depression, and Anxiety, Oh My. It's difficult to pin down exactly when my girl boner vanished, but I remember when I noticed. I was in my late teens and working as a model in New York City. While I hadn't yet been diagnosed, I'd begun developing the primary symptoms of anorexia. A dangerously slight body I perceived as too large, a fixation on food and weight control, and an intense fear of weight gain. My then-boyfriend Aiden and I were maintaining a long-distance relationship, and I had flown back to Minneapolis for a visit. A Halloween party, Catwoman, grapes, gossipy whispers, almost sex. That about sums it up. Aiden had invited me to a costume bash at a co-worker's house, and I had dressed as Catwoman. Rather than embrace the fierce, sensual disposition of the feline superhero, as I've done since, I felt an odd mix of exposed and invisible. I sensed people's staring, criticizing eyes, yet felt like an outsider who wasn't fully there, like George in It's a Wonderful Life. Only nothing wonderful unfolded. 
I desperately wanted to enjoy myself, but just couldn't. My social butterflies seemed to have migrated far south. As the food-filled festivities ensued, I hid inside my black getup, pretending not to notice the increasing cocktail of partiers' murmurs, while my own cup held only water. Will she eat anything? One person whispered. Look, she's eating grapes, said another, as though placing fruit in my mouth was breaking news. I still don't know if those voices were real or imagined. Anorexia has a way of distorting comments, glances, the whole world. But they were very real to me. At some point, while sitting on a sofa clutching a grape I had grappled over eating, its temperature shifting from cool to warm, my head grew heavy, then began to bob, heavy like a bowling ball. The next thing I knew, I had fallen asleep, something I had never been particularly skilled at when I tried. More remarks disrupted my involuntary nap a few times, mumbled criticism, concern, and snarky laughter. I was the boring girl who had fallen asleep. By the time Aiden jostled me awake, it's time to go home, most of the attendees had left. While I can't tell you the make or model of his car, I recall vividly the stench of stale, fatty french fries in the air. One sat on the floor beckoning me. I was so damn hungry. We headed to his place, where we'd no doubt engage in sexy play. I had been away for months after all, and we had both been longing for closeness. But I hadn't yet realized that my longing had more to do with fear, loneliness, and loss of self, and that sex was the last thing my body wanted. Though my emotions said, yes, please, take me away into erotic oblivion, my body wanted nothing but the food I resisted and sleep. A shock of fear hit me. Did I want sex? Once in his bedroom, Aiden flipped the lights on. Off, please, I said, relieved as the dimness returned, the cloak I needed. As he joined me on the bed, the comforting feel of his strong, warm body was fleeting. I moaned to hide the hungry rumble of my stomach as he entered me, going through the motions as though playing a game of lovemaking charades. It felt a lot like modeling, actually, doing my best to appear alluring, seductive, and engaged, a natural fit for my artificial circumstances, hiding behind a makeup mask while aiming to please. But before cameras, I felt powerful. Here, I felt foolish and impatient, half present and pretending, half contemplating the breakfast I could finally eat tomorrow, considering the exercise I'd engage in to undo it later. Did Aiden actually feel connected to me? Could he sense my absence? I never found out. I used the term almost sex earlier because I'm not sure it's lovemaking if only one person is really there. I had consented for sure. If any assault were taking place, Ed, the eating disorder, was the attacker. Or perhaps I was assaulting me. Or hurting both of us. Perhaps I was his masturbation tool and he was my time passage. A bit of extra calorie burn and food avoidance who couldn't possibly fill the void I was becoming. I couldn't yet wrap my brain around what was truly happening, largely because anorexia is all-consuming. 
I shunned myself for not performing better for him, ignorant to the fact that I, the young woman who had enjoyed sex even amid her historic body shame, could no longer savor something so pleasurable and natural. When he, perhaps we, were finished, he slept and I laid there, enveloped by a sad sense of blankness. Not once throughout my anorexic days did I feel sex-hungry or orgasmic. The disease stripped me of my femininity, my sexuality, and eventually, it seemed, my soul. And no one throughout my treatment programs ever mentioned sexuality, which only more recently struck me as unfortunate and bizarre. Thank you for listening to that. <laughs> it felt a little bit like reading from my diary. Only a little more effort went into this. <laughs> I'm so grateful to be in a far healthier, happier place now. Much thanks to embracing my sexuality. I want that same healing and self-embracement for everyone. And I wish I could just copy paste my recovery for anyone who wants and needs some. Instead, for now, I'm bringing you dietitian Robin L. Goldberg. We chatted by Skype about navigating common eating-related challenges of late, her new book, and her advice for anyone who may be struggling right now. Thank you so much for joining me, Robin. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm uh, really grateful to meet you in this medium. Last time we met, you came to the studio, which was such a wonderful experience, and now we're adapting to this remote life. How has your life changed? Well, all my clients are virtual now, and it's you know, interesting to be in front of a computer all day having Zoom sessions. And I think it's a really challenging time for everyone. And, and I have, you know, many clients that are really struggling now because there's so much emphasis on availability of food and if there are safe foods and how will they get food. And it's an ongoing conversation. And I think a really activating time if a person struggles with body image issues and eating disorders because of what's going on. Absolutely. What are some of the most common questions that people have for you? You mentioned some really important issues about food availability and whatnot. Um, what are some common questions you're hearing that you're fielding? Well, I mean, you know, I think what's hard is when a person is rigid with food and they have so much anxiety to go to the grocery store in general or ambivalence about going out or takeout or curbside. One of the you know things I bring up, because it's not necessarily a question that will be presented, is to give themselves some slack, to try to be kinder to themselves. Because it's, you know, for example, if you're craving, let's say, and I know this happened weeks ago, now it's the store, let's say potatoes. And you go to the grocery store and there's not a potato in sight, and there's not a yammer seed potato in sight. To be open, which is easier said than done, I realize, where it's like, well, there happened to be some rice available. It's, it's, it's very pressing to ask someone to be open-minded, especially like my last client saying, you know, she will only eat green apples. And last week I challenged her. I said, well, pretend that we didn't have these other produce options available now. So could you try a different fruit? And today she's like, Robin, I had grapefruit 
several times and I had raspberries and other time, but no, I'm going to stick with the green apple. It's like, there's these rules. People are hanging on to their rules for dear life because we can't control what's happening with this pandemic. But when a person has challenges centered around food and body, we think like, this is what we can control. So the anxiety has heightened on, on so many levels. Absolutely. And that brings up so many wonderful points. One being that people who have not struggled with disordered eating in the past might start feeling like that is the thing they can control. And then we're also seeing so many different messages, like memes with these jokes that are intended to be funny, where they say, you know, me before quarantine, me after quarantine. And um, it's really painful for people who've gone through eating disorders or who have larger bodies to see themselves reflected. Um, what would you Or with say? the mask. I've had three people send me this one with the mask. The mask is to prevent you putting food in your mouth. It's like, it's offensive. I know it's meant to be funny, but, you know, somebody, sorry to interrupt you, but if someone was a stress eater or an anxiety eater before, it's definitely skyrocketed or maybe this has been their new way of, of coping. So it's, it's really um, unfortunate that diet culture has jumped on this bandwagon to be able to make, as you're talking about memes and other statements that there's not the science to back up. Absolutely. Oh, that is such an excellent point. So for people who are, they, they don't know better, they think those jokes are kind of funny, what would you recommend to them? Because the chances of the being, them being around somebody who might be struggling is pretty high. Yes. I, th I think really to be able to keep your own comments about your body, your movement, your food choices within yourself and not have that be a conversation. Peace to others because people are on edge they're very anxious. They're uncomfortable. If they weren't uncomfortable with themselves before, they're uncomfortable now. And also being able to not even have as a general conversation piece as innocently as it could be like, oh, what are you eating? Or how much are you eating? Or how come you're eating that? I would bring up other conversations. Perhaps it's exploring a hobby or interest that you used to partake in that you got so busy with life that stopped, you know, happening or something you've been curious about trying and doing. I mean, really trying to go over and beyond to discuss other ways that people are keeping themselves busy and fulfilled and, and not focused on, on COVID as well as food and, and body. Absolutely. Yeah. Focusing on, on finding ways to experience some kind of pleasure these days seems really important. I, I really appreciate that. I've, I've been struck by the ways that people talk about comfort eating. I've, I've heard people say that that's like this really negative thing. I'm curious what your thoughts are about eating to soothe ourselves and, and whether you feel like, oh, that's, that's okay. Well, I think... People are seeking comfort on so many levels now, and we're not necessarily able to hug a friend or give someone a high five. And areas that we took for granted, this has really been a great time from a self-exploration area in regards to when life can return 
rabbit ears back to normal, or this might be our new normal, to be able to look at, well, you know what? Sometimes we seek comfort in food and to be able, whether it's the food choice we are selecting or the amount we're eating, and that's okay. I mean, I know last night I enjoyed my three quarters of my pint of um, salted caramel ice cream. And that's what I wanted, and it sounded great to me. And I think to be able to give yourself permission to seek comfort, even if it's in the form of eating and, and food. Mm, thank you so much for sharing it's that. It's normal. I mean, yes. people who have normal relations with food do this. Yeah, absolutely. And there are physiological things that happen that are comforting too. Our body needs these, you know, sometimes you're craving something because your body needs to feel better. <laughs> like there's nothing wrong with that. I appreciate that. Uh, so your book released, which is so exciting because last time we spoke, um, it was in process. Could you tell people, remind them what the book is called, what it's about and uh, kind of what they can get from it? Yes. Yeah, so my book is called The Eating Disorder Trap, A Guide for Clinicians and Loved Ones. And it's a book that's written in a simplistic manner for anybody. You don't have to be a clinician in the eating disorder field. It could be a partner of someone, a family member, a loved one, a teacher, a coach, a physician, anyone. I mean, I have colleagues that are mental health providers that don't specialize in eating disorders. And, and this is really a wraparound book that addresses the psychological, the medical, the nutritional, and when you have a team, and then the compassionate side. Mm -hmm. And there are 34 illustrations in the book that encompass non-gender conforming individuals, um, non-gender incorporated vocabulary, um, all ages, all body shapes and sizes, and and really I'll have each title be sort of a plan word, something lighthearted before I really dive into what the particular subject matter is with a number of expert contributors in the field, four well-known eating disorder physicians and two well-known eating disorder therapists. And it's great because I wanted a resource that anyone could pick up and relate to and not have it be another book about eating disorders. And that was what I had said to myself if I was ever going to write a book. I wanted something that would be a standout publication. Mm, and it really is. And I'm so grateful for the special care you put in. You use the word compassionate. And that is what I felt. I, I've so far read a very early draft. And I was so struck by how much love and care and the inclusivity is so important and so powerful. It's such a readable book because the, the content can feel really intense. And I thought you made it very approachable. What, what tips would you leave for anybody who's really struggling with disordered eating right now um, to, to provide them some of that compassion to instill a sense of hope in these darker times? Well, I, I think for individuals to know there are so many online resources, many free ones for meal and snack support, therapeutic support. There's, there's a lot of support out there and to know that it's never too late in your process to ask for help. 
And it's, it's great to see, you know, many of the success stories I have worked with and I've seen and I've known and individuals who have come back later that are thriving in their fields or went into my field or became a physician. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. And, and to be able to say, you know what, if I want help, I can explore what resources are there and be, you know, creative within myself. If you're open and you surrender to it, it's, it's there, especially now, even more so. I thought about that idea when you were sharing about the person who shared that they had tried a new fruit that didn't feel like the one that they felt they could have previously. And I thought, what a beautiful piece of growth in the midst of all of this to, to have that flexibility that could then move, you know, go forward into, into this person's life. And maybe some people will have, um, you know, growth opportunities. You know, they say that there's, there's, there's a growth potential in every um, crisis. And it sounds like that's what's, what you're working on with people. Yeah. And I think too, I guess it's a good point because for many people, it's like, I'll say, you know, we're in survival mode. We don't have to put many new goals. It could be one goal that we've been working on the last six weeks and not to be hard on yourself and to just kind of back off of it. Because I think when an individual is able to work through the obstacles and challenges that they're facing now, not to say, oh, it'll be easy when life is back to normal, but they'll be able to approach their eating disorder in life through a different lens. And that's, that's the goal, is how to approach this subject matter and themselves differently. Learn more about Robin at askaboutfood.com and her book at theeatingdisordertrap.com. Rather than answer a listener's question this week, I asked our resident sex and relationship therapist, Dr. Megan Fleming, to share a way to experience more pleasure in our bodies. A simple way to feel more pleasure in our bodies is to practice and prioritize pleasure every single day. And so by that, I mean, when you wake up in the morning, perhaps you prioritize it before you even get out of bed. Perhaps you want to leave a small chocolate there or your favorite sex toy within reach. But really thinking about any given day, what does your body needs? What is it longing for? What kind of pleasure does it want to sort of play with? And it's your opportunity to really expand your repertoire because, again, arousal and what gives us pleasure is both in our mind and our bodies. So explore different kinds of touch as well as, uh, you know, sensations. You can think about temperature as well as in sex toys that you might like and trying new technology, vibration versus more of the pulsation, like the womanizer and the satisfier. So really recognizing that, as I say, we know what we know and we don't know what we don't know. So practice and prioritize every day what feels good in your body and or if your mind is looking for those mental turn-ons, everything from your fantasies and recalling peak sexual experiences to checking out some erotic literature and knowing that whatever turns us in our mind's eye, you know, doesn't necessarily we want to do, mean we want to do it in real life. And also sometimes fantasy can even be a little politically incorrect. And yet, 
if it's your turn on, I want you to explore it. Because the more we know about what gives us pleasure, both mentally and physically, the more then we can communicate that to our partner. So each day, I want you to really think about what time you're going to carve out, when that's going to be, that is non-negotiable, and also thinking about the environment. As I like to say, you might want to take a hot bath or shower before, thinking about the temperature of the room, the lighting, candles, aromatherapy, music, really creating sort of a pleasure container for your exploration and discovery. So as always, you know, I'd love to hear how that goes. And for anyone who's interested in delving a little bit deeper into pleasure, I hope you're going to join my nine-day pleasure challenge. And what that is, is every day you're going to expect in your inbox a sort of a pleasure prompt. It's in a sense a pleasure practice, if you will, so that each day you're going to try something on that doesn't take a lot of time or cost a lot of money. But I can assure you, because I've been doing this a while, and those who consistently, even sometimes even if they do even two or three of those nine days, they find the value and the recognition. It doesn't take a lot of time. And I think that is so key, especially now because you know, most of us say we don't have any. And so uh, I really encourage you to try on this challenge because I know you will be more than pleasantly surprised. So to register and join, go to my website, Great Life, Great Sex, Great Sex, forward slash pleasure. And I can't wait to see you there. I love that idea. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. Please do check out her free nine-day pleasure challenge and download your free gift at greatlifegreatsex.com forward slash pleasure. So I was already preparing this episode when I came upon a powerful essay by Kaya Milstein called, Are You Worried About Getting Fat Like Me? Which you can find linked down in the show notes. I'm so grateful she agreed to join me here for you all. Through her brand, Mechanic Shop Femme, Kaya teaches virtual automotive classes like how the heck do I buy a used car? And the whys and whens of car maintenance. She also writes for various outlets, such as the Twin Cities publication Rewired.org and Shondaland. She told me that all of her work has a through line to uplift women's voices in the automotive industry and share automotive knowledge with regular everyday drivers. So she won't teach you how to fix your own car, but she will teach you what it needs and why, she said. So when you take your car in, you can feel more confident about repairs and saying no when something seems off. Kaya also empowers people about their bodies. She told me she's become very open about her fatness and about her struggles with her body and clothing. And even in her carefully curated social media circles where people accept her, she noticed fat shaming related to the pandemic. Some people seemed more worried about gaining weight while staying home than pretty much anything else. Others have used memes about impending weight gain, those befores and afters, to make light of a funny part of quarantine. Here's what's really not funny. Numerous large-scale studies have shown that fat-shaming comments fuel depression, eating disorders, low self-esteem, extreme stress, and more. Here is some of what Kaya shared with me about the piece, her motivation for writing it, how it felt to put it together, and how people have responded. It wasn't that people were intentionally trying to hurt me or demonize me or in any way impact my life. Instead, they were worried about themselves and not realizing the impact that their words could have on other people. Now, I don't have an eating disorder. 
and I don't have any kind of food trauma or things that could become a major problem for me if I see these types of posts, but other people do. And it's not just about me. And I happen to be fat and people see this about me and they'll still post it. But when I shared my story, I got tons of comments from people who were very, very slim and very conventionally attractive who had the same body struggles and the same food struggles and eating disorders completely had similar experiences, but nobody would even consider that that was a problem. I mentioned in the piece, not just my fatness, but also things like um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, which causes body hair. And when I was writing it, this, one of the things that came up for me was about maybe eight to 10 months ago, I shared an article in a very large liberal Facebook group with over 3 million people in it. And it was a swimsuit lookbook where I, and you'll find one of those images in the blog post where I wore bikinis and one piece swimsuits and showcased them so that other people of my size could see what they look like on their body before they go and buy them. And wearing a bikini on the internet is, at my size, is scary enough. But some people had the gall to pick apart the fact that I had facial hair, um, minor amounts of facial hair in the comments of that piece. So that's an incident that came up for me, but also a lot of the things that I went through as a child where my parents were plus size, but there were still comments made by other people, including my parents, on how they felt about my size. Like somehow I was different because I was a child and not an adult or something along those lines. I think I'm lucky enough to have done a lot of the healing that I needed to do in the past. Obviously, some things reopen old wounds, but really when I put this out there and I saw the impact it was having on people, anything I could have possibly gone through or any concern I had about sharing this very personal part about myself kind of melted away. It it just, you know, I sat there and I was overwhelmed with this feeling of just pure energy, positive, you know, positive energy from every direction from people who had the opportunity to read this and connected with it. I'm so glad Kaya felt that surge of positive energy, which she provides so much of for so many people, as you'll hear in this excerpt from her essay. Well, here I am, the fat woman, the person you are afraid of becoming, who has the confidence of a world leader. How else could I possibly face all of my so-called friends as they demonize my very existence? My body is strong and powerful. My will to be who I am and change the world in exactly the body I was given is unshakable. I stand here like a brick statue on a windy day, unmoved by the daggers of your words, unaffected by the pitiful eyes I can feel staring up at me from the depths of the comu computer screen as you fear becoming me. I want to tell you that the world on this side of the screen is not so bad after all. The confidence I have in myself is achievable for you too. 
the work I have done to fall in love with my hairy double, no, triple chin and my flabby arms is work you can do too. I promise you it's possible to not look in the mirror and to despise what you see back at any size. As your body changes, you have the ability to hug yourself tighter, show compassion for your feelings, and then kick them as far away as possible because you are beautiful. Your body is exactly as it was meant to be, and it was meant to change. In strange and trying times like these, instead of worrying about how you're going to keep the shape of your body from changing, which it's adapted to do, focus on how to avoid infection and having a plan for if you get sick. Focus on how to keep eating food and maintain joyful movement in ways that make you feel energized and strong. Focus on how you're going to stay in touch with the people in your life who help keep you happy and balanced. That scoop of ice cream you desire to help allay your the fear and strain you are feeling from the pandemic, enjoy it. Now more than ever, you're a lot more important than the weight on on a scale. I couldn't agree more with Kaya, Dr. Megan, or Robin Goldberg. Learn a lot more about them and about my book at the links in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would so appreciate a rating and review. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast brand movement and book series at girlboner.org and more about Period at periodnetwork.com. 